You're listening to Brand to Brand. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the first bonus episode of Brand to Brand. And it's not just a bonus episode of Brand to Brand, but we are also kicking off a two-part series on crypto because it's all over the news, everybody's talking about it, and crypto needs a rebrand. It does need a rebrand. Dogecoin? We don't have time for Doge today. (laughs) Next time. I don't know what any of this means, so... Most people don't, and these <laughs> coins look like Monopoly money and not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> Sorry, Bitcoin. Obviously, crypto's exploding. Everyone's talking about it. Market cap is going up and down like the stock market crash of the 1920s. As of us recording this, crypto basically hit like an all-time high and is now in the gutter from a value standpoint. And so I think a lot of people listening maybe are thinking, am I missing out on something? Is there is there FOMO? I mean, you're seeing major banking institutions like Citibank, Goldman Sachs, USB, trading floors launching for ETFs. Tom Brady a while ago changed his Twitter profile. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see that. Yeah, changed his Twitter profile to the laser eyes, which is, I mean, you're you're a meme. You know, I have to say, <laughs> part of the reason why I'm really excited about this episode is to get a little education in crypto myself. Part of my claim to fame, part of my brand is being a meme expert to feel like I can't engage with whatever these crypto memes are. Uh, it's really cramping my style. It's hurting my internet street cred, if you will. We got plenty of time <laughs> to get into it and take it to the moon. And with that... We've got a special guest. I got a recorded interview that I shot earlier today with my friend Mason. Uh, Mason Fisher is a, a a guy that I used to work with who's had over four years in crypto. He quit his job, saw the vision for what crypto could be, had developed his own cryptocurrency, which is just unbelievable, and then wow. is now parlaying that into creating a crypto exchange. I'm really excited. Pool. I'm really excited to um to check out this interview for the first time. This will be my first time along with our lovely listeners <laughs> hearing this interview. I think if you're in business right now or you're a CEO or even if you're in market, you kind of like should know a little bit about it. I'm embarrassed that I don't. But there's this barrier to entry. I feel like it's like a jump rope and I don't want to get hit with the rope. I don't know how to get started. So I feel like this will be my first it's hard. my first introduction. It's so hard. Thank you. you don't even know where to start in terms of where to buy these things. No. And there's different there's so many different ways. That's and it. How do I know I'm picking the right one? Is now the time to buy? So I'm hoping that Mason can give me some insights. Let's queue up this interview. Let's bring Mason uh, Mason on. I'm very excited to hear your take on this as we're listening along. Mason How's it going? Very good, Tommy. How are you? Welcome to Brand to Brand. Thanks for joining us today. I am so excited to have you as a guest on the show to dive into a topic that I know is on the hearts and minds of a lot of our listeners, cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, and really a deep dive into what's under the hood. And I I know just given your experience and your years in this industry, it's just going to be so nice to hear your perspective on this topic. And I I would love to, for your benefit, I know you're a listener of the show yourself. Um, Our average listener, I would say, is probably 
sitting on the sidelines, is hearing a lot about crypto, isn't really sure what it means for their business uh, and also what it means for them personally. And they're probably feeling a little bit of FOMO. And so I think today is going to be a great opportunity to dive in a little bit deeper and, and, and hear from an industry expert like yourself. And so what would be awesome is if we could just hear a little bit about your background, uh, acquaint our listeners a little bit about who Mason Fisher really is. You know, I, I obviously uh, worked for you many years ago uh, and then uh, worked for ThoughtBot for five or so years, which is a startup uh, consulting company. And in 2017 is when what we call I fell down the blockchain hole, um, which I, I sent my first Ethereum trans- transaction and saw digital value be transferred from me to somebody else and realized that that was going to change the world and quit my job. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I was going to work on cryptocurrency for the next for the foreseeable future. The first project I worked on was implementing a version of Ethereum in a programming language called Elixir. And I met two other people who were doing the same thing, one in Moscow, one in San Francisco. The one in San Francisco is working on a project called Compound, uh, compound.finance uh, today. Um, what Compound does is it allows you to lend and borrow these digital assets on chain. Uh, I went out and worked for them for a few months, then uh, started, uh, there, there was a possibility of the Ethereum Foundation funding our, our blockchain written in Elixir. So I was going to do that for a while, looked into the plans for Ethereum 2, realized that Ethereum 2 did not have a good plan for shipping, which um, now three years later, they have not shipped. I was right. (laughs) Uh, Realizing that I started my own blockchain. So that was that blockchain was called Elliptocoin at the time. Built that out um, for a year or so, joined Optimism, which is an Ethereum scaling company for three months, um, and then realized that they had their issues as well. So I uh, went back to working on Moonshine, and Moonshine is now, uh, or, or went back to working on Elliptocoin, excuse me, and that is now Moonshine Exchange. Unbelievable, Mason. Four years, and you have the kind of impressive resume that some people, you know, kind of build a whole career on. And obviously blockchain is new, uh, but to have someone uh, with your pedigree with four years in this industry and certainly from a software development perspective for us to be able to dive in under the hood and and talk about what uh, the opportunities are for this is just is just tremendous. One more thing before we dive in. What is your high-level overview of what blockchain is for our listeners? Blockchain is many things, and it also depends on what people are selling you. And I think that's the most important thing to listen to when people are explaining what it is, is that to remember that people have financial gain um, on your actions. So if they tell you it's one thing and it involves you giving somebody money, uh, they might have that intention. But I would, uh, in simplest terms, blockchain enabled the idea of digital assets, this idea that I could own something, I could send it to you, and then you would own it, and we both wouldn't own it at the same time. And that was the fundamental innovation. Um, And that's not controlled by a central entity. And that's the thing that I saw in 2017 that made me quit my job, was when I sent uh, something of value out of my wallet and realized I didn't have it anymore and realized that that wasn't being done by a bank, that was be- being done by software. That is the fundamental innovation. And that has so many, 
you know, potential ramifications for the world. One of which is potentially replacing money. I am less bullish on that um, assumption. But another thing is replacing finance and the chunks of finance and law. um, And you can make things much, much more efficient. Awesome. Well, that's great context. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think for the lay person, if we're going to zoom all the way out, smart people took a look at a complex problem and they said the way we exchange currencies, the way we exchange forms and denominations of money is flawed and enter blockchain. We in the United States are fortunate. We're lucky. We have financial systems that are stable. That is not the case in in other countries. And so you see this as the future. You've personally invested a lot of time a lot of your own career in this, and you see tremendous upside. I would love to have you go a little deeper into why. It's funny, I, since I do have invested so much personally into it, but I'm also such a pessimist as, as far as where we are at. I think we are so much earlier than we think we are. Um, I think we you know, have some sort of toy blockchains, but we don't. we haven't really gotten to the point to see um, how things are actually going to work. The first step is creating digital assets and digital scarcity, right? This idea that I can have a thing and I can send it to you and then I no longer have that, right? Like that is that is step number one. Because um, if we don't have that, we definitely can't have money, right? If, if I can have it and you can have it at the same time, that's not gonna work as money. So that is the thing that we saw with Bitcoin, the idea that I can send you a thing and you can have it and I no longer have it. Um, and not having that be controlled by some third party who can then reverse that transaction or take my money or take your money. That is the fundamental innovation. And that is the fundamental innovation that when I saw made me quit my job. So once you have digital assets, you have digital assets, then you can start to build money. But the step after that, I think, is the thing that I'm really interested in, which is the ability to do things with those digital assets. So, for example, the NFT craze, um, people are selling digital artwork um, on blockchains and you can charge basically a tax every time that somebody trades an NFT and have that pay back to the original artist. And that's something you could do with this centralized service, but it's sort of not the same because that centralized service, you're not relying on a centralized service to charge that tax. That tax is just built into the asset itself, um, which is something that we've never been able to do before. Another example is Compound, the company that I used to work for, um, where you can lend and borrow digital assets on chain. So people right now, I just checked, they have $19 billion in assets under management um, and they allow you to lend and borrow these crypto assets. So say I'm a Bitcoin miner farm and I have $100 million in Bitcoin. I don't want to sell it yet because I think the price is going to go up, but I want to invest in my mining operation. What I can do is deposit that Bitcoin into Compound as collateral, sort of like a mortgage. And then I can take out a loan in US dollars, get those dollars deposited to my actual bank account, go buy a bunch of mining equipment, um, mine a bunch more Bitcoin, and then I have 200 million Bitcoin, pay back a loan. And that is all done through a protocol and not done through a bank. So there's no uh, anti-money laundering laws, there's no know your customer laws, 
um, you could open one of those right now if you wanted to. You could create a loan um, without asking anyone's permission, uh, which I think is 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 very dangerous. Um, but you know, uh, the anti money laundering and know your customer laws will develop over time, and, and these things will um, become more secure and more regulated, but also much more efficient, right? Like when you take out a loan, for example, you're going to fill out, you know, hundreds of pages of paperwork and sign a bunch of places. And that's not all just going to be done. And now that can all be replaced with one single digital transaction. um, And the loan is issued and you have the capital in your account. I think the whole concept around smart contracts is absolutely fascinating the idea that you could write a program on blockchain to govern something and the example that you used for me before is this concept around flight insurance flight insurance is something that is fairly simple to evaluate a plane either takes off or does not and the concept of not necessarily having to have some sort of a third party or an intermediary that's involved before the funds are returned to you uh, is really something that's powerful. And uh, if we were to take that a little bit further, um, sets us up for a very interesting future, certainly for our attorneys that are listening. So how far do you think we can take these smart contracts? What, what does this future look like? Crypto in general eats most of law, right? Because Anywhere where you need that human intervention that you're talking about, you can write that into the smart contract, which is sort of how regular law works these days, right? Like you you have the contract which lays out all the uh, base cases and then all the edge ca- cases are kicked back to courts. Uh, and you could even have courts built on blockchains where the agreement is all written into a smart contract in with all of the different cases laid out, say like a mortgage contract, and say I miss my payments for three months, um, then you know then my house could get repoed, and that could all be programmed into a smart contract. But there are obviously going to be edge cases there, right? Where say a, a tornado hit my home and the federal government bailed me out or something like that. There could be written into that smart contract, you could have the ability for one or multiple of the actors to write off, or you could even have the government have some sort of a private key that says, okay, this mortgage is now defunct and they don't need to pay it or, or whatever, you, whatever you can imagine in law, you can do in code now. That's got to be scary for the attorneys out there. Yes, but I think there's, like all of these things, there's so much work to be done that there, there there's plenty of, you know, uh, potential for attorneys to work with blockchain companies to, you know, to, to deal with these edge cases, right? Um, I am a big, I do fear potential automation of lots of jobs. I think that blockchain could automate a lot of law. I think blockchain could automate a lot of finance. I think a lot of finance is gatekeeping. And if you remove those gatekeepers, a lot of people are going to lose jobs. Hopefully there are new jobs that replace those roles. But Uniswap, which has, I don't know, $8 billion, I believe $8 billion in liquidity was built with uh, eight people. So that's a lot more than uh, a JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs, because with JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, you need, you know, you need to build all the buildings, you need to have all the people, um, hire all the people, you need to have auditors, you need to have legal, you need to have compliance officers, and all of those things 
sort of fall by the wayside. I think there will be some some new jobs that are created, but I don't think that it's going to match all the ones that are uh, replaced. Very interesting future, one that involves decentralization, something we've seen in open source software where many contributors can make huge advancements towards a product without traditional big companies, brick and mortars involved in putting things together and certainly potentially scary future for those that are involved in legal and finance. And I'm sure lots of other professions that ultimately can use blockchain technology to be more efficient and not necessarily require so many layers of human intervention in order to get stuff done. So you've been at this for a while now, and you've personally financially gained from getting in at the ground floor on some of this crypto technology. Uh, I think what would be awesome and is probably something everybody that's listening is wondering is, Mason, like, where should I put my money if I'm sitting on the sidelines? Or if I have invested some money in certain coins, where should I be putting it? How should I be moving things around? How do I best set myself up for success in this turbulent market that is crypto right now? I would fall back to Warren Buffett's quote, uh, when other people are greedy, be fearful, and when other people are fearful, be greedy. And I think currently, since everyone is getting into crypto and everyone is seeing these asset prices rise, I think now is not the time to buy in. I think the best thing to do would be make a plan if there is a dip, um, buy in at that point. Um, but if everyone is, if it's the time when everyone's buying in, that is probably not the time to, it's already probably too late. That said, I am not an investor, and I, 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 the thing that I saw is I saw a wild market imbalance between Bitcoin and Ether, where Bitcoin was only money and Ether could do all of these other things, and I saw the price of Bitcoin and I saw the price of Ether, and I realized how out of whack that was. So that is why I specifically purchased ETH at that time. And then exited as soon as, you know, that that market imbalance was corrected. I would would suggest possibly going in as an experiment, right? Don't don't. This is always the case in crypto, but definitely don't um, put in anything you wouldn't be happy to lose. It is all a game. It's mostly a gamble at this point. And asset prices, I think, are I think everything is tremendously overvalued. The idea that Dogecoin can be a tenth of the market cap of Bitcoin shows how much of a joke this all still is. Um, but that's not to say that this isn't going to change the world. That's just to say that uh, most of what the asset prices now are is based on speculation. And also something to keep in mind is these assets are highly, highly concentrated to a very few individuals. And if those individuals sold, all these asset prices would come tumbling down. It is very dangerous to get in at all. I know that's not the fun answer. People want to have, have me say, <laughs> oh, buy this coin and it will get, get you rich um, because that is what people want to hear. And I, I, you know, I, I would love to be able to do that, but that is just not the case of where we're at right now. I, I think that currently everything is very, you know, the prices are very high for the actual functionality and the actual usage because for these things to um, support their value, either you need to keep the Ponzi schemes running 
or you need to provide actual value. Um, and some blockchains are starting to provide little bits of value. Um, and there is the possibility of value in the future, but the the market caps just don't match up with how much value um, you know is is sloshing around in there. Just for example, like what can you buy with Bitcoin? Or, you know, how many people are actually using smart contracts on Ethereum? Really, the only things people are using Ethereum for is lending and trading, which is why, I, you know, I'm interested in those things. Um, and I'm building Moonshine, this decentralized exchange, because one thing that people will want to do in the future is trade these digital assets. Like once we have digital assets, people are going to want to trade them. And that is going to, you know, generate revenue. You can you can charge fees to, to have people trade. And once you generate revenue, then you actually have something of value. Well, obviously, really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing the contrarian point of view that um, the market is overvalued, that it's in a bubble, and that uh, the time is potentially not necessarily now to get involved. Uh, That said, I do think you're right. It is a good opportunity for a test case and for an experiment. There's certainly been people like yourself that for a long time have been saying these markets are overvalued and we've continued to see them go up. But you're right. All it would take is one big actor, one major investor with concentrated uh, amount of, of, of capital in the market to make a change or a major government like we just saw with China uh, making a uh, stipulation or uh, legislation that completely removes access to a huge population. So I think it'd be great to shift gears a little bit and actually actually pay off what we had talked about before about actually diving underneath the hood. You and I had spoken earlier about the idea that in some cases for Ethereum or other blockchains, just how long it actually takes for these transactions to settle. Probably a lot of listeners, myself included, wouldn't necessarily immediately think about the negatives associated with that. But obviously that takes power. That takes more energy. And, and obviously uh, we know how long it takes or how frustrating it is when it when a browser takes too long to load. So maybe you could expand a little bit about what's actually under the hood since you've had such firsthand expertise in, in order to see what these platforms actually look like. So the truth is most of the technology that's under the hood currently is a mess. Um, and that's, you know, I have my own incentives there to, to, to try and sell you uh, the token that I'm working on because I want that to go up in price. But most of these things were built by researchers, not developers. So these are people that write white papers. They think a lot theoretically. Um, and those people aren't always the best builders. There are a few projects that are much better from a technical perspective. Uh, Solana, Avalanche, uh, Phantom. Uh, there, there, there are a ton of these popping up because all of these people see, oh, users want fast, cheap transactions, right? Like that is what the user wants. The user doesn't care as much about decentralization as they do about uh, not paying $40 per transaction and waiting 12 minutes for a transaction that might fail. Um, So seeing projects like Solana and Avalanche pop up that have much better technology is promising, but Ethereum has had such an enormous head start that they don't need to deliver on the best technology and they can um, make promises of the future of what will happen in the future. So right now, Ethereum, the plan is to move to Ethereum 2 at the end of this year. And I think that is a wildly 
optimistic. I, I was actually in talks with the Ethereum Foundation in in building one of these ETH2 clients um, at, at the end of my time at Compound and looked at their plan and their plan was to build um, for three years without having a single uh, cust customer or user. Um, and any software developer or anyone who knows anything about software knows that that's not how software is built. Obviously, for any software developers that are listening, that is cringeworthy, right? You definitely don't want to develop anything in isolation. So many failed projects, whether it's Google or other organizations, large and small, that have built something without actually listening to the customer, having customer in, utilizing the product getting feedback, having them break it so you can continue to innovate. So I could see why that would be certainly a uh, red flag for you. Yeah, yes. And it's it's so much easier to build something and not deliver and promise something in the future than deal with actual reality. Um, so the funny situation we have ourselves in here is ETH is actually better by not shipping because then they can make all of these false promises people buy into the hype they say oh the price is here now but once we get to this phase where this imaginary thing that's never going to happen hits then the price is going to 10x um and you just keep kicking that can down and down the road and can keep tricking people into buy for higher and higher prices and then the other thing that makes it interesting is you allow you make people allow people to lock their money into this ETH2 contract and not be able to sell their tokens. So they're forced to hold these tokens as they will eventually drop in value. And I would love if you could just expand a little bit on ownership, right? A lot of people that uh, have crypto are buying it on some kind of an exchange, but some people are actually creating their own crypto wallets and holding onto them. And there's these horror stories of people uh, losing access to the wallet, losing access to all of this money. So first, it would be great if you could just talk a little bit about uh, the ownership of these assets, these coins. Second, you had talked a little bit about the ability for some of these coins or these funds to be able to be locked. And obviously with the transition from Ethereum to Ethereum 2, there's a lot of people that have been, we could call them early investors, that are now captive audiences that can't actually cash out the money that they put into the market. And we may have people that are listening that aren't even necessarily aware of this. So it would be great to kind of hear your your point of view on that and what that's all about. Yeah, I mean, the as far as ownership goes, so this is what we're the term that the blockchain people use is custody, right? Like if I hold the private keys to my digital assets, that means I own that digital asset. Uh, so one of the Bitcoin phrases is not your keys, not your crypto, which means if I don't hold the private key to my crypto and the ability to send that crypto directly to you, it's not really my crypto. It belongs to the institution that I, I store those coins in. So it, with something like a Coinbase, um, they hold the private keys that allow them to send the cryptocurrencies uh, amongst people. But I'm actually a big believer in people using Coinbase because I think it gives people what they want, which is um, access to speculation, right? Like people don't really care about using the cryptocurrencies. They want to buy low and sell high. Um, and if they can do that, they don't really mind about whether who holds custody as long as they can get out their cash at the end of the day, um, which I think there is something to be said for that. But that's only if 
that's only good for the speculation case, right? Like you, there are a lot of things that you can do that if, if a centralized company is controlling it, we don't even need the Bitcoin blockchain. We could just have Coinbase can keep track of everyone's balances and people could speculate on these things. And at that point, Coinbase is just basically running a gambling site. Yeah, well, the nice thing about Coinbase is that it completely takes uh, some of the human element associated with owning and managing your uh, crypto wallet. And I know uh, there's stories of people that have lost huge sums of money at a couch at a party because their, uh, you know, their their crypto wallet was uh, was lost. And honestly, there's tremendous stories uh, like this kind of across the board, even outside of crypto. On my way into the studio today, I heard a story about a woman that had won the lottery and then accidentally washed her lottery ticket in the washing machine. And uh, so I guess. I guess the the nutshell here is that sometimes humans are not necessarily great at holding on to uh, things that are worth large sums of money. So for everybody that is listening that maybe isn't necessarily sure about private keys and public keys, could you expand on those? The private key is basically your password that allows you to uh, send transactions to other people. Um, so it's, but it's not words. It's, it's a long string of numbers and letters. Um, but anyone who has access to that chunk of data has access to all of your tokens. So, and I, uh, just to start, I definitely agree with you that for the majority of people, Coinbase makes much more sense than holding your own private key or your own password. Like you said, you can, people can lose these things. Um, the USB drive can get broken or lost. That said, on Moonshine, you do hold your own private keys. Um, the the benefits of this are you can onboard a lot quicker. So so one of the one of the things on Coinbase, you need to send them your license. Um, things are you know very cumbersome and slow. Whereas on Moonshine, you're trading the assets directly, so you're 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 paying a lot less, and you're paying those fees to other people on the network. But we could get more into that. But Well, I think this is a great time for us to dive a little bit deeper into your latest venture, Moonshine, and for you to share with our listeners what that project is all about. And for some context, it's probably worth also sharing a little bit of background on liquidity pools in general. SushiSwap uh, is one we talked about the other day, kind of a fun name, maybe an opportunity for a rebrand. We won't go there today. Um, but I think just a little bit of background, uh, for our listeners would be great. So this idea of, uh, providing liquidity, this is something that happens in regular markets. Um, so a, a, a big institution say for making a market for Apple, right? Um, there's not always, enough people who want to buy and sell Apple um, at all times. So you can have a large institution that comes in with a lot of cash and a lot of Apple stock. And they say, okay, we'll buy and sell Apple stock for however much it's trading at for between at, at this range. Um, but we're going to charge a small fee or make money off of those trades, right? We'll, we'll buy a little bit high and sell a little bit low. We'll make, we'll make trades and that's how we'll make money with our money. One thing that blockchain has enabled is you no longer need to be a big institution to do that. So the the first real um, system like this was Uniswap, where people could provide you know ten ten dollars on each side of the market, um, and people could be trading between those two assets. 
And the person who provided those two assets gets a small fee for each of those trades. Um, so no, you no longer have these big institutions that are providing liquidity. You have little fish um, who are providing liquidity. So Moonshine is like Uniswap and Ethereum all built into one. Um, and it allows people with lower amounts to put their liquidity into the protocol and earn money off those tra transaction fees. So as people trade Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these other digital assets on the Moonshine Exchange, the liquidity providers are the ones who are getting paid for that liquidity. Um, so yeah, the, and the benefit there is like we were saying, instead of you know waiting 12 minutes and possibly having your transaction fail um, and paying $40 for the transaction, you have instant finality for a penny. Um, and you get that same user experience you had on, on Uniswap. Unbelievable. There is just so much depth to this crypto world. And I am so excited to kind of continue to explore what blockchain means on this show. To sort of summarize what you kind of shared, it sounds like you feel strongly that the best is really yet to come. And for those that have been listening, that are feeling FOMO, sitting on the sidelines, you're saying pause, hold them. But on the flip side, you have spent uh, so much now of your or your career on this, and you clearly see a future. What does that future look like? Are we at a slow march towards 2030 where we actually start to see some mainstream adoption for this? Obviously, we're already seeing celebrities and, and uh, banks and other organizations sort of heavily invested in this. But what do you think this adoption curve looks like? I'd say by the end of the year, if Ethereum hasn't shipped ETH2, there is going to be someone that comes along and eats their lunch, right? There, There is very, very smart people, Sam Bankman fried is one of them, who are billionaires who are trying to solve this problem, who have solved the problem. And at this point, it's a social problem of getting everyone moved over to these faster, cheaper platforms. And I think that pressure will be enough to either replace Ethereum with something else or have them actually ship. Um, and I think at the end of this year or by the end of next year, we will really start to see some of this uh, decentralized finance stuff take off. But I, I think the most important thing is I don't know, right? Because I, I thought everything was over overvalued when ETH was at 300 and Bitcoin was at 10,000. I, I, got, I got out mostly at that point because I thought we were at the top. I thought everything was way overvalued at that point um, because it just seemed like it was compared to how much usage there was in the real world and then everything 10x. So I, I would say anyone who tells you what to do with confidence is full of shit. But invest with caution and have fun. Uh, don't don't take out a mortgage to uh, buy Dogecoin. It, it really is amazing kind of zooming out and thinking about how much the investment world has changed. E-Trade a number of years ago came out and made it cheaper and more effective for people to issue stocks. Robinhood came along and, and made it, in some cases, free to, to trade and brought in a whole new group of younger investors. You see Reddit and Wall Street Bets and all of these sort of meme-driven stocks where people are putting money in the market and all of a sudden, the small guy is having an opportunity to win against these 
big hedge funds, and other larger organizations. And that's bringing on and ushering on a whole new generation of investors. These young investors that have a portfolio of now cryptocurrencies and other stocks that they're trading. What would you say to that new generation of investors? Keep at it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it seems like the future. These, these meme stocks, when people realize that the existing system, it, there is no way to get ahead in the existing system. They're going to try and find other ways to make a profit. And I, again, I wish I had answers. Um, I don't uh, know how this story ends, uh, but um yeah, keep researching, keep keep trying to find um, imbalances in the market. And uh, yeah, I just keep throwing rocks at the wall, I guess. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's a great way for us to end our time today. Thank you so much for being a guest and for going deep into some of this blockchain technology, what's under the hood. Uh, I'm sure we've all learned uh, something listening today, and I, and I do want to kick it back to you. Obviously, I want to be able to promote your venture, Moonshine. What's the web address for that for people that are looking for more information, Mason? Uh, moonshine.exchange. You can check it out. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining, and you have a great rest of your day, all right? Thanks, Tommy. Well, I hope no one's head exploded listening to that. I know there's, I mean, for me, I've been in this. I've had, uh, I mean, Mason's been educating me on this for a long time. I have other friends that are in crypto, and this is a space I've been watching for a long time. But I know for a lot of listeners, there's probably a a lot of words in there that you got to go home and, and Google. I don't know. What was your take, V? My take is that if he's telling me maybe now isn't the right time to get in, I should listen to him. But I also have a lot more research to do. I hear that. This was Pandora's box, and it just cracked open ever so slightly. But I know I need to fully open that bad boy. The good news is that we've got a whole nother episode that we're going to queue up. A traditional brand versus brand. Bitcoin versus Ethereum. The two 800-pound gorillas in the space. Head to head. And we may even spend some time thinking about, for those that are sitting on the sidelines... How do you get started? What's the cheat sheet to get from start to finish to put some money in the market, baby? We'll also kind of explore, what does this actually mean for your business? Should your business take a stance on blockchain? Is there a future where blockchain empowers what you do? Hopefully we're not having any attorneys that are listening. Long story (laughs) short, there is opportunity ahead and looking forward to spending some more time diving in on that. And with that, we're out, folks. Thanks so much for listening to Brand to Brand. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and don't keep us a secret. Tell your friends.